Today on the Matt Wall Show, as we learn more about the sexuality camps for children that have proliferated across the country, apparently footage surfaces of Pete Buttigieg's husband at a gay camp recently uh, leading kids in a Pledge of Allegiance to the Pride flag. So we'll discuss that. Plus, the House passes a massive spending bill with all kinds of goodies for left-wing causes and also for Ukraine, while Americans get the uh, short shrift once again. And the head of CPAC admits that he personally cut the pro-life panel from the conservative conference this year. We'll listen to his reasoning and see if we find it convincing. And a black man punches and kills a white man for saying the N-word, and he was sentenced to house arrest for it. Finally, in our daily cancellation, we'll assess the claims made by a married couple who claim that they have Never argued one time in 30 years of marriage. Where's the fun in that, I ask? We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Wall Show. Well, you know, the pro-life movement has to maintain its momentum now more than ever. And what better way to help than by supporting the charities and causes that you care about? Even if the Supreme Court were to strike down Roe v. Wade, abortion will still exist in America and many states across the country. And that's why we still have to stay focused on this issue always. Charity Mobile is the pro-life phone company. They partner with you to automatically support the pro-life, pro-family charity of your choice with 5% of your monthly plan price. And they have said, sent millions of dollars to charities so far. Um, there are a lot of perks that come with this as well. New activations and eligible accounts get a free cell phone with free activation and free shipping when you mention offer code Walsh. Charity Mobile makes it easy to switch. You can keep your existing phone number and you might be able to keep your existing phone as well. If you want a new phone, though, no problem. Charity Mobile has a variety of options from the latest 5G phones to low-cost smartphones and basic flip phones as well. They even have a a phone with parental controls that allows you to disable and password protect Wi-Fi and cellular data usage. And if you are going to get a phone for your kids, uh, I could not recommend going this route enough. And of course, you know Charity Mobile is going to have Provide options like that because this is a family-friendly company. There are no contracts, no termination fees, and no risk with a 30-day guarantee. So switch to Charity Mobile and support the causes you care about. Call them at 1-877-474-3662 or chat with them online at charitymobile.com and mention offer code Walsh. So there's a famous story about Hernan Cortez that I think I've told before where the Spanish conquistador landed uh, in, in Mexico in the early 1500s and proceeded to um, you know, topple the mighty Aztec empire with only his small gang of soldiers and the Indian allies that he made along the way. Now, as the story goes, early upon their arrival, uh, some of Cortez's men were restless and antsy and uh, afraid, as you might expect, and not fully committed to the task. So, so Cortez, wanting to take away any temptation or the ability to flee, he made the decision to scuttle his own ships. Um, he intentionally sank the boats that he came in, effectively stranding himself and his men in this unknown land, because the message was clear. There, there's no going back. There's nowhere to run. This is where we are. We're out here in this hostile wilderness, so you might as well prepare to fight. It, it's the only choice you have, so you got to just commit to it. Cortez was totally outnumbered. He was in a place he didn't know, controlled by a violent enemy, an enemy which um, preferred to capture you alive and, and, and rather than kill you in battle so that they could take you up, to, up their temple and uh, cut out your heart and sacrifice you to their war gods. Cortez had put himself in a position where now he would either have victory or he would have his heart cut out. There was no third option. So full commitment was the only way forward. I think about the story a lot because I find striking parallels between Cortez's situation and our own in our culture today. Now, we as conservatives, obviously, we're not, we're not facing the prospect of having our hearts cut out of our chests, not yet anyway, but we do confront an enemy who engages in its own form of human sacrifice and is much more efficient and prolific in that regard than the Aztecs ever were. But mainly, though, it's that if you're not an adherent to the leftist religion, no matter how else you identify yourself, you know, no matter what political label you claim for yourself, if you're not an adherent to the leftist religion then you are living in a totally hostile environment. You are living in an empire ruled by forces that hate you. You have no institutional power. You also have no way out. There's nowhere else to go. So you might as well commit fully to the fight. I think the situation was made even clearer over the past few weeks as we've watched what's happened in response to the Florida anti-groomer bill, which we've discussed extensively on this show. Because, by the way, it's one of the most important things happening for Americans right now. I know everyone's focused on Ukraine, but this is an important thing happening for Americans in America, if you care about your own country. The bill would merely prevent the sexual indoctrination of children in in grades three and younger. Uh, It would, as you know, prohibit teachers from teaching six-year-olds about sexual orientation and transgenderism and so on. 
things that no decent person wants teachers to talk to little kids about anyway. But as we've covered, the left controls the flow of information in this country so much that they've been able to rebrand this bill with absurd falsehoods and fabrications, pretending that it outlaws the word gay from schools and even from the entire state. Yesterday, Jen Psaki was asked to weigh in, or rather, you know, she was asked to, to speak for the White House, as she does. Um, what does the White House think of all of this? And, of course, she echoed the familiar narrative. Let's listen. I think that you have seen the president speak passionately about his view that a bill like this, uh, a bill that would uh, discriminate against families, against kids, um, put these kids in a position of not getting the support they need um, at a time where that's exactly what they need, is discriminatory. It's uh, a form of bullying. Um, it is horrific. I mean, the president has spoken to that. In terms of his views and comments from 25 years ago, I think the most important question now is why are Florida leaders deciding they need to discriminate against kids who are members of the LGBTQI community? What prompts them to do that? Is it meanness? Is it wanting to make kids have more difficult times in school, in their communities? I would pose that question to them, and we can talk about it more tomorrow if you get an answer. So kids are bullied, uh, she says, by not being sexualized and groomed. It, it is horrific, she says, to not talk to little boys and girls about their sexual orientation. That, that horrifies her. The idea of not talking to six-year-olds about uh, their sexuality is horrifying. It is discriminatory to refrain from having sexually inappropriate conversations with small children. That's the position the White House has taken. But there are institutions far more powerful in our culture today than the White House. Um, Institutions like Disney, for example, which is why the saga surrounding Disney as it pertains to this bill has been so revealing. Now, as we know, Disney at first took no position on the anti-groomer bill. They didn't talk about it at all. They didn't say anything. But then after a few days of pressure from the left, the CEO sent out a memo to his staff, which uh, we read on this show a couple days ago, reaffirming his commitment to and deep admiration of the LGBT community. But that wasn't good enough either. So then in the latest development, after another 24 hours of outrage directed his way, finally, Disney CEO Bob Chapek caved all the way. And as CNN reports, Disney CEO was criticized money for speaking out um, about, but not directly condemning Florida's controversial don't say gay bill, which some, with some feeling the Disney statement fell short. On Wednesday, Chapek agreed with the criticism. Quote, I understand our original approach, no matter how well intended, didn't quite get the job done. He said during the company's annual shareholders meeting, Chapek told a strong, took a stronger stance against the bill Wednesday, telling shareholders that he called Florida Governor Ron DeSantis Wednesday morning to convey the company's disappointment and concern. Chapek said that if the legislation becomes law, it, quote, could be used to unfairly target gay, lesbian, non-binary, and transgender kids and families. Um, the Well, it's you can't really target non-binary and transgender kids because um, uh, that they that doesn't exist in reality. The governor heard our concerns and agreed to meet with me and LGBTQ plus members of our senior team in Florida to discuss ways to address them. Um, and then he also claimed that he'd been working behind the scenes to fight against this bill. Now, if it concerns you that the company which produces so much children's entertainment in our country has now come out so forcefully in favor of sexually grooming children, well, that means you're paying attention. And also, if you're paying attention, you, you've, you've noticed how the left wields the power to bring even the most powerful corporations in the entire country under its thumb. So think about this. The left made up out of thin air a completely fictional story about a law that outlaws the word gay. Completely fictional. And they managed to get that story told by every major news outlet and by the White House and now by the biggest media company in the entire world. This is the power they wield. Now, they gain this power by claiming each successive generation as their own. And they do that by reaching each successive generation early and often. So we talk all the time about the situation in schools. Um, Only this week, we started focusing on the proliferation of these weird cultish summer camps where children are subjected to an even more intense barrage of often sexual indoctrination. Yesterday, we heard about the sexy summer camps, quote unquote, for kids, where a group of LGBT witches... That's how they identify themselves. Um, Teach about the wonders of masturbation and do-it-yourself abortions. Today, there's this report in the Daily Wire. It says a sex education summer camp for children in grades three to five. So this is a different one, okay? 
will include a condom demonstration in grades three to five, among other camp activities. The sex ed summer camp for students as young as seven is scheduled to get rolling this June in northern Indianapolis. The camp is set to run June 6th to 10th, uh, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. at a barbecue joint um, in the city. And, quote, at this age, kids are primed for level-headed learning. They are information gatherers. There is no shame or ickiness associated with using Band-Aids, and that same philosophy is applied to condoms and other barriers in this body-positive curriculum, according to the flyer. In addition, the kids will not be separated by gender when learning about puberty, bodies, and sex because, quote, gender is a spectrum and everyone needs to learn about all bodies, according to the flyer. So these will be, this will be, in the middle of Indianapolis, condom demonstrations for seven-year-olds that parents will choose to send their kids to. And if that wasn't bad enough, also today, last but certainly not least creepy, we have this video first posted by log cabin Republicans of Richmond, posted disapprovingly, I should mention, which shows a, 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 a guy named Chasen Buttigieg, who is uh, Pete's husband, leading children at a gay camp in a, a pledge to the gay rainbow. See for yourself. All right. I pledge my heart. I pledge my heart. To the rainbow. To the rainbow. Of the not-so-typical gay camp. Of the not-so-typical gay camp. One camp. Full of pride. Full of pride. Indivisible. Indivisible. With affirmation and equal rights for all. With affirmation and equal rights for all. Watch your heads. Now, those were young kids in there. Uh, that doesn't tell you exactly what ages they were, but you're looking at middle school at least, um, you know, uh, up and probably into high school. That was a gay camp for kids in Iowa. Now, I can remember when I was a kid, um, their camps were, were pretty common. Kids would go to summer camps. I went to a few camps myself. But back in those days, back in the dark ages, you know, you'd go to camp and you'd learn how to camp. You know, you'd, there'd be like tents. You'd learn outdoor skills. You'd learn how to make a fire. Uh, maybe for older kids, there'd be like, or rather for younger kids, a camp would involve arts and crafts. You'd play games. You'd do archery, those sorts of things. That's what camp was. Now we have sexuality camps for kids. And by the way, there's, there's no uh, uh, corollary for this for heterosexual kids. So it's not that it's, you know, what, what you hear from the left is, oh, well, you'd be fine if this was a, if these were straight kids. No, I, a, a heterosexuality camp for kids, I would not be in favor of either. And any kind of sexuality camp for kids is grooming, is creepy and disgusting. Now, that footage that you saw there comes from the Amazon Prime documentary about Buttigieg's, Buttigieg's uh, campaign for president. It's called Mayor Pete. So they proudly filmed this, and they put it in the documentary. And it's been on Amazon for months. And the funny thing is nobody noticed it until now because nobody watched the documentary. And then finally, someone had, like one person watched it and saw this. This is early on in the documentary. was horrified by it, put it, on, uh, put it online, and then it went viral. By the way, right after the groomer, Chasen, led children in a pledge to the pride flag, organizers at the camp had the kids make drag taters. If you're wondering what that is, those are potatoes dressed up like drag queens. So now I did say that when I was a, when I went to camp, when I was a, a, a little kid, we did things like arts and crafts. So that's arts and crafts too, just with a little bit of a different flavor to it. Yet somehow, even though this clip has gone viral and people are disgusted, the real point gets lost. The, the blasphemous pledge that they're doing there to the pride flag, you know, that's, that's bad. That's what people are focusing on. But the worst thing is that kids are at a sexuality camp in the first place. Once we've accepted and tolerated the existence of literal grooming camps for kids, all the rest of this follows automatically. In fact, a pledge to a pride flag is about the, the tamest thing you could hope to see in this context. At least Chasen wasn't giving the kids condom demonstrations. Though maybe they saved that for when the cameras were off. I don't know. Still, the pledge is quite significant because this is how they want the kids to see themselves and to see the world. They want kids from the youngest ages to define themselves by their sexuality and to have loyalty first and foremost and exclusively to their victim group, their, their sort of sexual tribe. 
Of course, young kids don't really have a sexuality at all, which means that the first task is to rob them of their innocence and of their childhood um, so that they can be molded and exploited. This process plays out in schools and in media and in Hollywood, and they even have whole camps set aside now for that purpose. They do all of this out in the open. They film it and put it on Amazon. They're proud of it because this is their culture. This is their society, for better or worse, and it is only for the worse. This is what we face, what our kids face, pure evil. We might as well fight it um, with all we have. Go all in because there's no other choice. Now let's get to our five headlines. You know, if you've ever experienced nausea, whether it's from the stress of the world or some bad Indian food then, uh, or whatever it happens to be, uh, then you, you've got to check out Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, which is my particular plight that I deal with, anxiety as well, migraines, hangovers, uh, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. How it works is Relief Band stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of your brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal in your brain uh, that's, that, that's being sent to your brain, letting you know that you're supposed to feel sick. It's, um, it sounds complicated, but it's actually very simple. All you got to do is just put the Relief Band on and you're going to feel better right away. Other great thing, no, uh, no side effects. There's not gonna, not, no drowsiness or anything like that. You put it on, you feel great. Relief Band makes a great gift for any time of year. Right now, they've got an exclusive offer just for my listeners, if you go to reliefband.com and use promo code Walsh, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no questions asked 30-day money-back guarantee. That's the best offer you'll ever find for Relief Band anywhere, but you have to use my code. So head to reliefband, R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com. Use our promo code Walsh for 20% off plus free shipping. This is from Breitbart. House Democrats passed a $1.5 trillion omnibus spending bill after hours of delay and Democrat confusion. What else is new? House Democrats passed the $1.5 trillion omnibus spending bill, which was uh, separated into two votes. The first half focusing on security funding passed with 361 votes for and 69 votes against. Second half uh, featuring the remainder of the spending passed with 260 votes for and 171 against. Um, some of the, some of the, the highlights or lowlights, lowlights for this, uh, it says a Republican study committee messaging document obtained by Breitbart News found that the bill has many issues, including, quote, Uh, The bill would spend over $100 billion on Green New Deal initiatives and advance racial justice through Department of Agriculture programs. We're advancing racial justice through the Department of Agriculture because everything that is under the left's control must be used to advance their ideological agenda. You know, nothing can just be what it is. Nothing exists for its own sake. The Department of Agriculture can, is not going to be focused on agriculture. It's going to be focused on all of the left-wing priorities, which have nothing to do with agriculture. The bill also contains $100 million for environmental justice activities at the Environmental Protection Agency and $75 million for low- or zero-emission vehicles. Uh, $26 billion in food stamp funding. Um, this is the first spending bill to include earmarks. No protections from Chinese espionage in grants to the National Science Foundation increases National Institute of Health funding by 10% and provides $66 million for the racial and ethnic approaches to community health, or REACH, uh, an increase of $8 million from last year. Now, you would never know, looking at a spending bill like this, that we're like $30 trillion in debt. Because there's no concern for that at all. At all. Just keep spending the money. Now, we should also note that they did. They, they, the Democrats tried to ram this through as quickly as they could, um, because it's you know it's only it's only one point you know whatever it is seven one point five trillion, it's only one point five trillion dollars that we're spending. So no reason to spend any time thinking about this. This hundreds of pages, of course nobody read it, and they were trying to ram it through, get it done as quickly as possible, because the Democrats um, wanted to go and and uh, in fact right now right now are at a uh, a retreat in Philadelphia at the Ritz-Carlton, what they call their Issues Conference. And that's a three-day retreat at the Ritz-Carlton, Philadelphia, where, you know, supposedly they get together and talk about the issues, but really it's just a great vacation for them. So in the middle of all these crises that, that we're facing in America and in the world, and as Americans can 
no longer afford to put gas in their car to go to work and all these other problems. Um, Democrats are taken off for the rest of the week to go to the Ritz-Carlton. Now, unfortunately for them, there was some tragedy last night because uh, really their conference was supposed to start last night and uh, on Wednesday. And one of the first things they were going to have when they got there was uh, there was they were going to have a drag performance. A drag queen was going to show up, and they were going to you know watch a drag show. And unfortunately, they were not able to get there in time to watch the drag show. Maybe they'll reschedule that. I don't know. But this is you know, I think people on the right will say, "Oh, this is how out of touch they are." They're so out of touch, the Democrats, that in the middle of all this inflation, you know, uh, gas prices, they're going to go to the Ritz Carlton. And watch a drag show? And the common talking point from the right is that, oh, they're out of touch, and this is why they're doing that. I don't think they're out of touch at all, in fact. They're very in touch. They're very aware of the fact that they can do this. They can get away with it. I mean, out of touch would be that they're blissfully unaware. They don't even realize how it comes off. No, they know. They just, number one, they don't care. They don't care how you feel about it. They don't care what's happening with you. And they know that there's no one to hold them accountable. The media's not going to do it. In fact, having the drag performer there only gives them more cover from the media. That actually makes it more acceptable for the media. Because, hey, if you complain about it, then what are you? You're homophobic. So that's what they're doing now. Also, there was $13 billion for Ukraine in the bill. So, um, and that's not the only foreign aid, but we're going to be shipping $13 billion off to help Ukraine, help secure Ukraine's border. Uh, our border, not so much. All right, let's go um, here. We go down to Florida where a man named Corey Pujols has just been given some very good news. Despite punching an elderly man in the face and killing him, Corey will not be going to prison. He's getting house arrest and probation. House arrest and probation for Pujols, uh, for his victim, the morgue. So let's back up and give some context here. NBC reports, it says, a Florida Dunkin' um, Donuts employee was sentenced to two years on house arrest after he pleaded guilty to fatally punching a customer who used a racial slur. Corey Pujols, uh, 27, was initially uh, charged with aggravated manslaughter after he punched a 77-year-old man in the jaw following altercation. In May, he pleaded not guilty, but agreed to change his plea for the lesser charge of felony battery. The incident began when the customer, identified by the Associated Press as Vanell Cook, became upset over the lack of service he was receiving. He was apparently in the drive through line, and, and uh, the service was pretty slow, as, frankly, it tends to be at Dunkin' Donuts. And, uh, you know, they should take some customer service classes from, from Chick-fil-A. Like, you, Chick-fil-A, you could get in the Chick-fil-A line. This is not really the point at all, but I'll just say... Chick-fil-A, you get in the line, and there's 30 cars in front of you. And you get in that line, and, and then you could look over the parking lot, and there's Dunkin' Donuts, and there's three cars in line. And the person who's three cars back will be in that line longer than you are, 30 cars back in the Chick-fil-A line. So, wasn't getting any service to the Dunkin' Donuts. He was upset about that. He went inside. Um, and then NBC continues. Police said Cook and uh, Pujols start, started arguing, and that Cook called the Dunkin' Donuts employee who is black, a racial slur. A criminal report affidavit states that the customer called him the N-word, and then he told uh, Cook not to repeat it, and he did repeat it, and then Corey jumped over the counter and punched him in the jaw. Cook was knocked unconscious and fell, hitting his head on the floor, and uh, had a skull fracture and contusions on the brain, and then he died three days later. Now, so this is an interesting case for me, uh, because the victim, Vanell Cook, is, or was rather, by all indications, a total scumbag. And we do have to acknowledge that. Not only was he berating a minimum wage customer service worker and calling him racial slurs because he was upset about the service being too slow, but he was also, uh, according to the reports I've read, a sex offender and a pedophile. It's probably telling that apparently nobody from Cook's family, 77 years old, nobody from his family showed up to the sentencing. Nobody showed up in, in, the, in the family and, and, you know, protested the fact that such a light sentence. Now, I'm personally not at all sad that a pedophile is dead. Um, what's more, even leaving aside the pedophile bit, if you start screaming in another man's face and insulting him, 
and I don't care what words you use, you start screaming it in another guy's face and insulting him, you deserve to get punched. That's my feeling. You, you deserve it. If, if you're in a physical state where a punch to the head might kill you, then watch your mouth is probably the best way to go. So I, I, I don't see someone as a victim. You start getting in someone's face and screaming at them, and they give you a chance to stop, and you don't, and they even warn you they're going to punch you in the face, and you keep going, and then you get punched, you're the victim. You know, I don't really see it that way. You really brought that upon yourself. I actually, and I also don't think that hitting someone is automatically worse than insulting them. You know, I think we have this is sort of this effeminate uh, view that people have, this really feminine view that people have that the worst possible thing you could ever do is, is physical violence is always the worst thing. No, I don't think that's worse than going up to a, in a guy's face and um, you know verbally spitting spitting in his face, basically, or, or actually spitting in his face. So that's the way I feel. That's my personal view. And yet my personal views on these subjects aren't reflected by the law. Nor necessarily, nor should they be, perhaps, at least until I'm theocratic fascist dictator. Like, I personally think that if you get in a guy's face and start insulting him and you get punched, that's on you. You had that coming. But that's not what the law says. And probably I'll admit that the law can't really, that's not a precedent you can actually set or you probably want to set. So, um, then you, then you think that really what happened here is a guy was killed for saying a bad word. Do we want to set a precedent that allows that? I mean, Corey, the Dunkin' Donuts employee, he didn't know that Cook was a pedophile as far as I know. So that didn't, that didn't factor into this. Um, he also didn't hit him for screaming, and, and screaming at him and berating him generally. He hit him specifically for saying the N-word. And now he gets house arrest. So is the precedent that people who say this one magical word can be killed. The judge, in explaining the sentencing, specifically mentioned this. He mentioned a few things. He mentioned how, well, he didn't mean, to, you know, it, this was not an intentional homicide. He wasn't trying to kill him. He punched him one time. Um, and that's true. You know, that does factor into, it's not premeditated murder, so that's going to factor into sentencing. But he also mentions the, the severity of the, the horrible word that was used. Like that's because of that specific word that's one of the reasons why he's not going to go to prison. Is that the precedent now? That if someone says this word to you, and you're a certain skin color, and they have a certain skin color, then you can kill them. That's certainly the feeling of people on social media who are celebrating this. To them, even leaving aside, pedophile leaving all that aside, Cook deserved to die, not because he was a pedophile or anything else, but because he said that word. You know? And the court seemed to have vindicated this position, which, which to me seems rather troubling. And you worry about the precedent there. Also, I think we could say this completely destroys the idea of any anti-black systemic racism in the court system. I mean, this was a, a black guy who killed a white guy for saying a word and isn't even getting no prison time for it. If our court systems are systemically racist, in an anti-black way, then you would think it wouldn't work out that way. So, interesting case there, though. Um, all right, let's move to this. Not to pile on, um, but we talked about Matt Schlapp in the Daily Cancellation yesterday. He's the guy who runs CPAC. Uh, he runs the American Conservative Union, which, which, which itself runs CPAC, uh, which, of course, is the largest conservative conference, conservative gathering in the country every year. And what we talked about yesterday is uh, he sent out a tweet basically in support of Leah Thomas, the trans swimmer who's um, invading women's sports, women's swimming, and stealing all these medals, and also exposing himself in the locker room to women. He, he, he put out a, a, you know, a tweet in support saying, calling for compassion for Leah Thomas, and also referring to Leah Thomas as a her. He's trying to backpedal from that. He issued some statements and trying to back away from it. Well, since this conversation has started now about Matt Schlapp and about CPAC and everything else, um, there's another video that has now gone viral. This is Matt Schlapp very recently at the last CPAC, which is just a couple weeks ago. And um, he's explaining in this interview with, with, uh, with someone there why CPAC didn't have any pro-life panels or speeches this year. Now, think about this for a second. This is CPAC, it's supposed to be a conservative conference. The pro-life movement is one of the is one of the foundational 
aspects of the conservative movement, generally speaking. At least that's the way I would I see it. And there's a chance that Roe v. Wade is overturned this year. So in a year when the pro-life movement is making all this progress, Roe v. Wade might be overturned and you have CPAC and you don't even talk about the pro-life movement at all through three days. No time to talk about it. Um, well, Match Lab was asked about that. And here's the reasoning that he gave. Tell me if you find this convincing. You and Mercy have a very strong pro-life record. Yeah. And uh, some of the folks that have come to CPAC were concerned that it might not have as much of a strong pro-life message, particularly in a year where Roe v. Wade could be overturned. I That's wonder if right. you could speak to that. Yeah, you know, we always say every year we should have a pro-life panel. Mm-hmm. And I broke that. I was like, I don't want a pro-life panel. And they're like, why? I was like, because I think everything's pro-life that we talk about. Everything should be life-affirming. And we've tried to take that spirit in what we talk about with uh, so many issues. Now, we'll have speakers that are for uh, abortion and for legal abortion, and we have people here with disagreements on almost every major issue. That used to be a problem for us, and my belief is that should not be a problem. If you agree with this movement on a couple of things, like if you just think taxes should be cut or the government should do less, we want you a part of this coalition. You might not check every box that a conservative uh, would normally check. Uh, you should feel welcome to come here. There's a lot of non-Republicans here. There's a lot of non-conservatives here. There's a lot of people who just are here because they love Trump. Yep. Uh, there's a lot of different reasons why people are here. Some people are simply here because they hate socialism. Right. And they're still trying to figure out their views. And I think we should welcome them with open arms. But on the pro-life question, I think that's foundational to having uh, a society that... Uh, that can proceed and be welcoming and, uh, and grow. By the way, population has a lot to do with uh, economic growth. And so I just think it's imbued in throughout the conference. Well, I don't think there's any good reason that the head of CPAC could have given for personally cutting the pro-life panel. There's not any good reason. So there's nothing he could have said that, would, that I would listen, that I would hear and say, well, okay, I, I understand that. So acknowledging that ahead of time, even so, um, that's about as bad as it gets. Like that's all of the re- all of the ba- out of all the bad reasons you could give for cutting the pro life panels and pro life speeches from CPAC, uh, those reasons were the worst. And so really, it's it's two things, right? He's got two two uh, reasons why there's no pro life at CPAC. One is everything is pro life that we talk about. He claims. And also, we want to be a big tent, and we want to, you know, appeal to lots of people. And uh, you know, if there's if someone is for lower taxes, but they're not pro-life, we want them in the tent as well. So let me address both of these. First of all, that's it's just not true that everything is pro-life. This is something. This is why it's really troubling to hear from the guy who runs CPAC, because this is exactly what people on the left try to do. They want to expand pro-life. And make it so general and vague that it's that it's you know meaningless. It doesn't mean anything. So even they, as, as people who are in favor of abortion, in fact, you hear this from from some Democrats who are fully in favor of abortion at every stage, but would still say, "Oh, I'm pro-life," even though I'm in favor of uh, killing babies. And then they all, and this is something that they they flip around and try to use against people on the right. And they say, oh, well, you say you're pro-life, but you're not in favor of spending more on entitlements or you're not in favor of a student loan forgiveness. You know, if you're pro-life, then you should also hold all of these other views because all of this also is is part of the pro-life cause, I've decided. They want to expand it, make it general, make it vague so it doesn't mean anything anymore. I mean, if everything is pro-life, then nothing is pro-life. But it's not true that everything is pro-life. The pro-life movement is very specifically focused on the issue of abortion. Now, it's true that the reason why we're opposed to abortion is that we believe that human life is sacred. And uh, we believe that it is always wrong to intentionally destroy innocent human life. That's our position. That's why we're, that's why we're pro-life. That's why we're against abortion. And yeah, we, so we need to take that position and apply it consistently, Sure. So all that means is that if we're saying it's always wrong to intentionally destroy innocent human life, then we should be against intentionally destroying innocent human life human life in any context, which we as pro-lifers are. 
There's, there's no context where we're okay with intentionally destroying innocent human life. But that is the pro-life ethic. That, that's the pro-life position. There is only one area in American life right now where it is actually legal to intentionally destroy innocent human life, and that is in the womb. And that's why that is, that's the fight. That's what we're focused on. So if you're not talking about abortion and why abortion is wrong, then you're not talking about the pro-life issue. This is a, this is a, a way of evading the issue by, again, making it general and making it vague. And this idea of uh, of the big tent. So we want to bring people in, you know. If you're if you if you're in favor of lower taxes, but you're not, uh, but you like abortion, we we want to have you in the tent. Well, if our tent is that big, then there is no tent. Okay, then the tent doesn't exist anymore. There is no movement. If our movement is that big, then what what is the movement? Where where are we headed exactly? The thing about a movement is that you're you need to be headed in a certain direction. Like you're moving, right? Now, at least among the left, they, they know which way they're moving. They know where they're trying to get. They know what their objectives are. And that's why they're so successful. One of the reasons why they're so successful in the culture is because they stay on message. They know what they want. They know where they're going. And that's why they have success. The problem we have among conservatives is that like nobody has any idea. what We call it a movement, but where are we going exactly? Why are we doing? Why are we going there? Why does any of this matter? What is the sort of overarching, what are our overarching or our underlying principles and values? Here's, here's what I'll say, you know, someone who is in favor of a lower, if, you're, if you are in favor of lower taxes, but you're pro-abortion, then I have nothing meaningful in common with you. We're not in the same movement. So you like paying less in taxes, great. I mean, so do I, but that's, that's surface level. You can't have a meaningful and powerful movement grounded in that. Hey, we're all we're all a bunch of people who like us having less of our money taken away. Sure, okay. I'll tell you this. I have a lot more in common. And Ali Beth Stuckey put this out on Twitter, and I agree with you. She said, you know, I've I have more in common with a pro-life socialist than I do with a pro-abortion capitalist. And I think that summarizes it perfectly. It's exactly how I feel. I'm not in favor of socialism. But capitalism is not my religion. It is, that's not the banner that I'm marching under. That's not what I'm charging into battle for, fighting for capitalism. I like capitalism. I think it's better than any other options on offer. But what I care about is protecting human life, protecting children. And so if you're with me on that, then as far as I'm concerned, we're on the same side. All right. Um, here's more Republicans embarrassing themselves. Representative Maria Salazar of Florida was uh, caught outside the Capitol yesterday, and she was asked about her support for a no-fly zone in Russia, uh, which is something that you, you start a, you have a no-fly zone. Um, that means you're going to war. If we are enforcing a no-fly zone um, over Ukraine, then we we are going to war with Russia. The people who are advocating for this, do they even realize that? You would hope that our elected representatives would understand that, but it doesn't appear that they do. Let's listen to what uh, this representative said. And, and, and do you support a no-fly zone in Ukraine? I support everything that has to do with punishing Vladimir Putin and helping the Ukrainians. Wouldn't that mean direct conventional warfare with Russia? I don't know what it will mean, but you know, freedom is not free. So you don't know what a no-fly zone will mean? If you you have to shoot down Russian planes, I mean... Of course! So conventional war with Russia. Listen, thank you. (laughs) These are the morons that we have running the country and also leading the Republican Party. Oh, sure, let's... uh, Freedom isn't free. You're talking about if we did what you want to do, Maria, then we would be getting involved in a, um, in a global war. You're talking about starting World War III, which is what happens when you start shooting down Russian jets. Um, and your justification for doing that is that freedom isn't free. Okay, your justification is like a song lyric. You might as well start. How about, do you have a haiku? Do you have a poem you also want to read to us? Her, her justification is a bumper sticker. 
based on a bumper sticker slogan, she's going to send us into World War III. And that's stupid, and it's incompetent, but it's also evil, okay? Because she's, despite how it may appear, these people are actually not, well, they're pretty stupid, but they're not as stupid as they seem. She, she obviously knows what, what a, a world war it would entail. She knows, that, she knows that it would involve lots of Americans dying. And she just doesn't care about that. Certainly doesn't care about it enough. All right, I want to mention this also uh, quickly from the New York Post. It says, keeping up with the Kardashians doesn't come cheap. The world's most famous families headed to Hulu with their new reality series, The Kardashians, premiering in, um, on April 14th, if you want to watch it. And according to the cover story in today's issue of Variety, the streaming platform ponied up a rumored nine-figure deal for the, uh, for the Kardashian clan, which parted ways with the E! Network in September 2020. Uh, Matriarch Chris Jenner says, well, money always matters. I think that anybody would be foolish to say that money doesn't matter anymore. Hey, uh, Matt Schlapp, Chris Jenner, she could invite her to CPAC, right? She's a capitalist. So we're on the same, she's part of the tent now. Chris Jenner, let's give Chris Jenner a leading speaking slot at CPAC next year so she could talk about why money matters. Which I agree with her, it does. But I, that's, that's all I have in common with Chris Jenner is just that we both agree that sure, money matters. I like making money, we can agree on that. Only reason I bring this up is that um, I, I just think it's it's funny because this conflict between Kim Kardashian and Kanye West, and Kanye is very upset that Kim Kardashian is running around with Pete Davidson and everything else, and we keep hearing that uh, that Kim Kardashian is uh, she's a she's a victim because she just she, all she wants is privacy, and Kanye West keeps putting her private life out there, and it's not fair, and she's a she's a victim, she's being harassed. I think this underscores the point. I mean. Kim Kardashian wants privacy. This woman does everything she possibly can to get her private life out and viewed by the public. I don't, I don't think she really has, at this point, a private life or an interior life of any kind. I don't think she's capable of it. Um, she, she can only, she, she needs the cameras on her all the time. It is a need. And yet this person wants privacy. Also, by the way, can I just say, not that I care that much about the celebrity gossip, but I, as as I followed it very, kind of uh, off on on the on the edges, and, and the outrage at Kanye West because he's upset about Pete Davidson, and I guess he he put out a, a music video recently where there's a he 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 depicts himself in cartoon form burying Pete Davidson alive, and people are really upset about that. And by the way, if you're upset about that, then, you know, don't, once again, don't listen to any Eminem songs from 20 years ago. You know, he's literally killing his wife. His, his one entire song where he murders his wife uh, in the song. But, but either way, it, it's actually, yes, you shouldn't make songs about killing people and depict yourself in cartoon form, burying them alive. I think we can agree with that. But it's not all that strange for a man to be very, very upset and angry that his wife left him and is parading around town with another man. It's actually pretty normal. So there are a lot of crazy things about Kanye West. This is actually one of the most normal things. He's really upset, and whatever he's trying to embarrass her, making physical threats against the guy that she's shacking up with, that's all pretty normal, actually. This is maybe the most normal Kanye West has ever been. That's as far as I'll go in, in defending Kanye West, because, by the way, he is also parading around town with his own uh, new woman. So he's not exactly a victim here, but I feel like I should mention that. Let's get to our comment section. If you're a man, it's required that you grow a beard. Hey, we're the sweet baby gang. All right, let's go right to um, the video comments. I think we actually have a couple. I'm feeling optimistic this time. Let's go to clip seven. Hey, Matt Walsh. Look at what my husband got me for my birthday. A trip to the DMV. That's amazing. See, that is what we need in the video comment section. And that is someone committed. That, that is a license plate. So now you, now you can get a, if you haven't thought of it, you get a custom Sweet Baby Gang license plate. She has SBG forever on her license plate. That is amazing. Uh, I, I just have to, I have to applaud you for that. You are not, certainly not banned from the show. You, I give you a, a place of great honor and distinction now. Um, that's, that's incredible. And this really sets the bar, I think, actually, for the Sweet Baby Gang. 
how committed are you actually? Do you have the license plate? As far as I know, also, by the way, no one's gotten a tattoo yet with Sweet Baby Gang. I, I hesitate to bring that up, although I just did, because now I feel like someone's actually going to do it. But that's how I know you're really committed. How about right across the forehead? And if you do that, don't blame me. I'm not advocating it. I'm, I'm not advocating anyone do it. I'm just saying that no one has done it yet. And so it makes me wonder how committed the gang really is. All right, we got uh, one more video to play. This is clip uh, eight. Hey, Matt. To make the video comment uh, section a little more serious, I would like to ask you this question. What do you think of the moon landing that allegedly happened in 1969? Do you think it was real or do you think it was fake? Frankly, um, I used to think it was real and I used to make fun of people who uh, doubt it. But I've seen enough evidence that it was fake. And uh, for those listening, uh, I can direct them to a Facebook group called The Moon Landing Hoax. There's a ton of evidence, scientific and otherwise, that it was fake. But I would love to hear from you, Matt. And it's kind of related to the uh, space subject and aliens that you are, you know, uh, a fan of. So I would like to pick up your mind. Uh, tell me what you think. Was it real or do you think it was fake? And SBG for life. Um, well, I would love to hear. So you're in a Facebook group that says the moon landing was fake. Uh, and there's a lot of evidence. And this is the, the, the interesting thing I've noticed about people who support the uh, moon landing conspiracy is that they always tell me about the evidence, but they don't really tell me what the evidence is. So I always hear, I hear about this evidence, this mythological evidence. I mean, what I, I hear great things about the evidence. I've just never really heard what the evidence actually is. Um, no, I don't, I don't think the moon landing was fake at all. I, I think this is just, it's, it's, it's so many reasons. I, how can I even go through all this? Um, uh, well, okay, here's one piece of evidence that I have heard. Um, and this just shows you, I think this is a representative sample of the evidence and it shows you how weak this claim is. And that is that, uh, if you look at some of the footage, it, it looks like the, the flag is moving, um, like it's blowing in the wind, but, but Hey, there's no wind on the moon, you know? So, and of course it, it, it turns out that like when you put the flag in, it causes, it causes uh, motion, which will make the flag move a little bit and there's no atmosphere. So the movement will last longer. But, but also, this, all, all of the evidence that you're marshalling, whatever it is, it presupposes that our government hatched this conspiracy theory, or rather hatched this conspiracy and this plot, and they executed it, and they fooled the entire world, and yet they left these really obvious breadcrumbs out there? Like what, they didn't know that there was no wind on the moon? Or all the stuff about the shadows and, oh, look, look at the, how the shadows are. I think there's perfectly logical explanations for all that. But, but again, it, it presupposes that the people who were able to execute this plot still were not able to outsmart like people on Reddit. And I just find that to be totally absurd. Um, also, you know, it, it would also require not only that the entire government is in on it, and like all, NASA and all the astronauts and all of them have been lying this entire time and they've all kept quiet. Like none of them have ever come out and said anything otherwise. So you're looking at um, this cooperation across many government agencies. You think about how vast this conspiracy would have to be. It's not just a couple of people. It's not just, it's not just the actual people who went to the moon who would have to be the liars. Okay. Um, but it's hundreds of people, if not thousands across multiple government agencies are all on the same page to execute this plot and they have and they have stayed disciplined through across decades look if you know anything about our government and how it works you know how ridiculous that is these people can't do anything they can't they cannot cooperate to achieve anything it, just to change a light bulb in the capitol building it takes 57 different people and it costs $600 million just to do it. So you think that they could fake a moon landing and fool the entire world? And not only that, but other world governments are also in on it because they would know by now. I mean, we've got Russia would know that we faked it. Why haven't they come out and exposed it? 
This is something that could easily be exposed now with all the technology that we have and the satellites and telescopes. They could easily expose it. No, they were never here. So it's a conspiracy among the entire government and other world governments for some reason have decided to stay mum about this and not tell anything, not tell anybody. It's, it's, and there's just no reason. Like it's an interesting Hollywood plot line. You know, it's an interest, it's a, it's a fun story to tell. And maybe you could write a, a book or something like a fictional, you know, fictionalized history um, where the moon landing is fake, but there's no reason to, there's a lot of reasons to think that it's not fake including some of the ones I just said. There's no real good reason to assume that it was. Um, all right. Let's see. And, and also, one other thing. Why haven't we faked? Like, why did we stop faking? You know? Why, why haven't we faked? Uh, why did we fake a, a Mars landing? That's the other thing. If, if you're going to fake a, an expedition to outer space, why are you faking landing on the, a, a rock, a big glorified rock orbiting the Earth? Why, why did we fake the Mars landing next. You know, it seems like we went to the moon and there, there, you know, there, were, there were multiple expeditions to the moon, but we haven't gone back in decades and we haven't really done much. And that is actually how you expect the government to work. It has a, a major success, very rare successes, followed by decades of failure and um, you know, just kind of treading water. That, that actually is what you expect from the government. All right, let's see a couple of uh, written comments here. Indie Man says, sexual abusers always tell their victims to, te- to never tell anyone, especially their parents, or, or it will hurt them or bring shame to them or whatever works. Um, this don't tell the parents thing is beyond dangerous. Yeah, this is why we say that there are groomers and predators, because this is, as you point out, exactly what sexual predators do. This is exactly how they operate. It's the first thing that they do is that they make sure they condition. That's what the grooming is. They're conditioning their victims and they're making sure the victims are not going to talk to parents or any other authority figure. And that's what's happening here. And as I said, it's out in the open. Jamie M says, well, the anti-lynching bill is basically saying, are you willing to stop lynching black people? It's a yes or no question. It's obviously virtue signaling, but I mean, how do you vote against this? Uh, Right, exactly. That's, that's, the game they're playing, or, or it's like the classic from when I was in school, the one you can't do anymore. But when I was in school, it was the, uh, does your mom know you're gay? You know, uh, yes or no question. There's no way you can answer without affirming the proposition. Um, and that's what they're doing here. That's the, that's the spot they're trying to put Republicans in is, is basically that that's actually why the bill was there is trying to coax Republicans into voting against it. And yet I'm sitting here saying, I think they should have voted against it. And I do think that. Because when you start playing the game and you start dancing to their tune, it never ends. And so if instead the Republicans, in a unified way, had come out and said, no, what they're doing here is an, it's, it is a waste of time, it's pointless, it's virtue signaling, it's actually grotesque, the way that they're using racism and lynching and all this stuff as, as, a, as a political uh, cudgel, as a prop, as a pawn. How about coming out and explaining that? rather than going along with this thing that you know is totally absurd. And finally, Zimmer Handcraft says, Matt is so close to saying taxation is theft. I love it. Well, um, I would not say that across the board, only because no one has really explained to me how you can have a government without some form of taxation. And if you're saying, well, let's not have a government, no one's explained to me how you can have a civilized society without some form of government. So in order to have a civilized society, you need some form of government. In order to have some form of government, you need it to be funded. And so you need some form of taxation, uh, which is why I wouldn't say taxation is theft in general. But there are many forms of taxation that are. And I do think that the income tax is theft, especially the way the income tax works now, where they go in and take your money before you get your hands on it. Yeah, that I do think. Tonight's the night. It's the premiere of our next big hit, The Hyperions. The pre-show begins at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. To make sh- So you got to make sure that you head to Daily Wire YouTube channel and you set a reminder to catch the live streaming. You're not going to regret it. Um, th- this movie has no political agenda. It's not woke. It's all about entertainment. And you can clearly see that in the trailer. Check it out. My name is Vista Mandelbaum. I was just a little girl 
My brother and I have taken four hostages. Everybody against the wall. We've come for one thing. Our Titan badges. Is this real? Yes, ma'am, this is real. Is my sign this? Well, I want that too. It's the police. They want to talk to whoever's in charge. This Titan badge can grant an individual superhuman power. Perhaps it's time for someone else to take on the responsibility. Meet Apollo. I'd recommend next time using your power. I mean, yeah, if you think so. Calling all Hyperions. On my way. You're making such a mess in here. We've got a Hyperion en route. Not a good time to look stupid. Shots fired! God, come on, give me my gun! Suit up for adventure. She's trying to destroy me. Next question, how's the family? The family is, um, uh, Gosh, what is it? Marvelous. Well, The Hyperions is a family film with some throwback vibes, and it's 100% worth the stream. We're going to be streaming it again tonight at 8.30 p.m. Eastern for all of YouTube to see. This is the last time we're going to be streaming any of our movies on YouTube. So if you want to see all the content we have coming um, down the pike, then head to dailywire.com slash subscribe, and you won't miss any of the content. Again, it's dailywire.com slash subscribe. Also, as if we didn't have enough amazing content for you, we're excited to announce that this weekend, Ben Shapiro is hosting a new interview on the Sunday special with Bill Maher. You know, that's going to be a great conversation. This is without a doubt one of the most fascinating conversations um, that we've that, that there's they've had on the uh, Sunday special. We've had a lot of great conversations. Um, it's free from censorship, of course, and full of interesting opinions. And it's available early to Daily Wire members starting Saturday morning. So get ready for an entire weekend of amazing content only at the Daily Wire. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today for our daily cancellation, we turn to a married couple in Virginia, Hannah and Blair Keeley, who are uh, getting some media attention because of their claim that they have never once in 30 years of marriage argued or raised their voices with one another. Never once. Never done it. Now, they, for some reason, released a joint statement to Fox News Digital where they made this claim and also imparted seven tips so that you also can have a perfect relationship. Now, I do kind of like the idea of releasing joint statements to the press with random facts about your marriage. Like, my wife and I um, could release a joint statement and hold a press conference about the fact that we have never once through our entire marriage owned a microwave. That's true. So maybe we released a joint statement. Who, who wants to know or cares is the other question. Anyway, right up front, in assessing the legitimacy of this claim and also the credibility of the people making it, there, there are a few strikes for them and against them. Now, here's something in their favor. They've been married for 30 years, and they have uh, seven grown children. Now, if you want to claim to be a relationship expert, you're not even in the running unless you're married, obviously, and have remained married to the same person. But to get to expert status, you have to at least have, I think, three decades under your belt. So they're just over the line there. And you have to have raised children. You know, I, 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 sorry, I don't want to hear any relationship advice from childless people because it's a different ball game once you have kids on the scene. These people have seven. As far as I know, all of their kids are currently uh, not in prison. None of them are serial killers, as far as I know. So uh, the Keelys did something right. All that is to their credit. There are some red flags, though. In the article, Hannah is described as a master life coach, and her husband is in marketing. So you see the combination here. Life coach, marketing, setting this out, claiming they've never had any arguments. You know, maybe there's something there. Um, actually, on her LinkedIn bio, Hannah describes herself as America's number one mom coach and founder of Mom Mastery University. It's also she's a reality TV host. Now, I'm not sure who America's number two and number three mom coaches are or how these things are ranked or if number two and number three know that they're number two and number three and would agree with that. I have no idea. Um, now, no doubt there are some wise people in this world who give great advice. OK, you're looking at one of them. But when a person goes into the business of being a wise person who gives great advice and aggressively markets themselves as such, you begin to become a little bit skeptical because the first thing any wise person knows is that you should not go around claiming that you are wise. Socrates could have told you that. 
The whole concept of life coaching, I think, is a bit absurd for this reason. And also because there's no requirements, right, in, in order to be a life coach. Anyone can wake up one day. You could have an overweight, out of shape, unemployed alcoholic could wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm a life coach now. And uh, I'm an expert in life. And they can just start coaching you on how to live. So I find that dubious. But we could put aside most of that and look at what the Keelys are actually saying about marriage. Most of the tips they give are pretty good. Um, pretty obvious and kind of cliched, but they're valid nonetheless. Tips like share your feelings and expectations and challenge each other to grow. Now, these tips are not, not actually necessary. I mean, you don't need to tell a woman to share her feelings. There's no reason to write that down. No, no woman, no, no wife is going to read that and say, you know what, I should share my, I never thought to share my feelings with my husband. Um, that's, you know, wife, wives generally don't do anything but share their feelings. Um, so, but that's, that's all fair enough. Some tips are bad. They offer the classic never go to bed angry thing. In the explanation, we're told Hannah and Blair Keeley insist it's important for couples not to go to bed angry. That's because nighttime is when humans often encode their cognitive experiences from earlier in the day. Um, in the couple's own words, anger towards your spouse can easily turn into a belief if you don't manage the thought prior to bedtime. How do we do this? They continue to always affirm the love you have for that person, even if there's no resolution. The ultimate conflict resolution is making the decision, the conscious decision to love. And the problem here is that anger is an emotion. You can't simply turn off and on like a light switch all the time. So if you're buying into this ridiculous idea that you should never allow yourself to fall asleep while you're angry at your spouse, all that means is that, is that you're going to force yourself to stay awake and your spouse to stay awake while you continue to hash out your issue uh, until you aren't angry anymore. But it's pretty rare that people get less angry and arguments get less tense the later it gets. Sleep deprivation tends to fuel anger and irritation, not cure it. Okay, so in fact, many times the best thing you could possibly do when you're angry is go to bed. That's actually the best thing. Um, like 99% of the, of the arguments that you've ever had at night, you, you would have been better off just going to bed. And you wake up the next morning, now with some rest and a little bit of time. And, and a lot of times you see that what you were angry about was kind of unimportant and silly. Um, I have gone to bed angry at my wife before. I've never woken up angry at her, though. So that's the point. But even if I ever did, that's okay, because anger is not the worst thing in the world. Arguments are not the worst thing. And this ultimately is my problem with this life coaching duo. They probably know more, more about marriage than I do. I'll accept that. But I am familiar with being a human being. And I know um, what I know about being a human being is that anger and conflict comes in a bargain. So they present never arguing as an ideal, you know, something to strive for. But, but is it? Let's think about that. How could you actually manage to go decades without ever so much as arguing with your spouse or, or with anyone that you spend that much time with? One way is to be, is, if, if you're both perfect, like Christ himself, um, assuming that's not the case here, then we're left with other options. Not, another is to be emotionless robots or lobotomy patients. If not that... You know, if you aren't perfect, and if you have emotions, and you aren't Siamese twins joined at the brain who think and feel exactly the same all the time, then the only other way to totally avoid arguing is to suppress your anger when you feel it. You'd, you'd have to always, 100% of the time, keep the lid on, tamp down any anger that you feel, and funnel everything through the use of I statements and other therapist-approved conflict resolution strategies. Now, if you do this always, all the time, you may never argue. But is that really ideal? Should we be presenting arguments in a marriage like an objectively bad thing to be avoided at all costs? Does the fact that you've never argued, if that's true, make you more of an expert and give you more credibility or less? Now, I admit that maybe I'm biased here because my wife and I are both a couple of stubborn sons of guns and we both could be argumentative by nature and neither of us probably would have wanted to marry someone who is at all times meek and mild and avoids conflict. That just sounds boring, frankly. But my bias aside, it seems to me that an argument is simply when two people have diverging ideas about something and they both are insisting on their own point of view. And that's an argument. And it's, it's, not, it's not bad. There's nothing, there's nothing necessarily bad about that. This is another feminine, just like the idea that uh, you know, I mentioned before, two men are in an argument and the, the worst thing that could ever happen is any kind of physical altercation. Well, there's also this idea that, that arguments themselves are always bad things. Um, Arguments happen when people are asserting contradictory viewpoints. 
Now, there are bad ways to assert your point of view. If you're screaming and cussing, that's bad. Obviously, in a marriage between a man and a, wo- a woman, if it's a, if it's, this is an argument between men and women, if you're getting physical, that's always bad. Also, if you constantly feel the need to assert your view about every little thing, then all you're going to do is argue, and that's bad. But if you never assert your view, if you never plant your foot on the ground and say, no, this is how I think we should go about this, and I'm insisting we do it this way, if you never, ever do that, well, then your conflict avoidance becomes dishonesty. Your spouse won't know who you really are, what you actually think, what you actually feel, because you're always conforming yourself immediately to whatever the other person wants or feels. I hardly see that as ideal. Now, the point isn't to avoid arguing, but rather to, to argue well, I think. I don't mean argue well as in knowing how to destroy your spouse with facts and logic, though you should be able to do that. And I have done that to my wife before, whether she realizes it or not. But what I mean is, is arguing in a healthy way, which means keep, keeping things in perspective, not blowing every little conflict out of proportion. It means staying on topic, okay? Never saying anything that starts with, oh yeah, remember the time when you... It means letting the, the other person actually say their piece, and it means allowing the argument to end. So once you've said what you need to say, and they've said what they need to say, let it end. Go to bed. Like, leave the room. Whatever. Arguments can be healthy, but the unhealthy one have... The, the healthy ones have time limits. Every healthy argument can turn unhealthy if it drags on too long. Marital spats are like, you know, gremlins. Don't feed them after midnight. Don't keep it going past a certain point. Say what you need to say. Listen to what the other person is saying and then move on. That's a healthy argument. Such things do exist. They're even, I would say, an important part of your marriage. And that's why I'm not going to cancel the Keeleys themselves because they seem like nice people. But the idea that they're proposing here is what I'm going to cancel. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodowski. Our associate producer is McKenna Waters. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. And hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Florida's parental rights bill passes the Senate. The deep state changes its story on biolabs in Ukraine. And Trump explains how he deterred Vladimir Putin. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.